So you're going to be a starving artist? Have you considered something more, you know, practical? How will you make money? Why not get an MBA instead? We've all heard it before. Your family's well-meaning pleas with you to ditch your art and find something practical to pursue in your career. Whatever that means. During practical advice for impractical pursuits, students in MSU's Arts, Cultural Management, and Museum Studies program will explore stories from industry professionals across arts and culture, arming you with all the knowledge you need to not just make it, but thrive. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast, MSU students, both current and perspective. My name is Ryan Duda. I'm a current graduate student in arts and cultural management. Before that, I was an undergraduate student uh, in the theater department at MSU, and I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Abby Taikaki. Hi, I'm Abby Taikaki. I'm an instructor with the Arts, Cultural Management, and Museum Studies uh, program. I teach 462 and 862, which is sort of the arts marketing class. Um, and Ryan is my graduate assistant, and I'm really excited to be here. And it's not only us, we are also joined by the incredible grad student, Colton Wanzler. Hi, everyone. Very excited to be here today. Sweet. Now, before we get into this, I wanted to ask everybody, how did we each get into arts management as a, as a career path or a prospective career path? And Abby, I want to start with you. Can you briefly touch on how you found yourself in arts management? Yeah, so I'm an alumni of the Michigan State University Department of Theater. And um, once I graduated with my BA in theater, I started working as a stage manager, um, which naturally led me to become more involved with the administrative side of theater as well. And um, my dream really is to someday start my own theater company, um, or at least uh, run my own uh, theater space and become a producer. Um, I haven't achieved that dream goal yet. But um, when I moved to Chicago, uh, I was in a job where they offered me tuition reimbursement. And I said, I'm going to take that opportunity to get my master's degree in arts management. And I had a lot of people say, why not an MBA? Why do you need a, you don't need a degree in arts management to start a theater company? And I said, no, I don't, but it will definitely help me along the way. And so that's how I ended up here. Nice. Well, what about you, Colton? What made you come back and uh, pursue a graduate degree? So I actually didn't come back to arts management. I just went straight through. So I got my bachelor's from the University of Michigan in Flint, um, and I got that in food performance. And then after that, I went uh, to MSU for my master's in food performance as well and decided to stay um, for my doctorate. And while I was pursuing my doctorate, I was introduced to the arts um, management program here um, through one of the alumni. His name is Sal, um, who is a very good friend of mine. And he had nothing but great things to say about the program. So I got in touch with um, Professor Dion O'Dell, who kind of got me started in the program. And then quickly after that, I got in touch with Dr. Latham, did my application, and here I am. I should also say that along along the way, I started my own arts organization, which is a woodwind quintet um, based in Lansing, Michigan. That is such a cool path. Both of you, there's such a cool path of like trying out different things and, and eventually finding yourself here and and everything you're um, trying to accomplish with that. That is so cool. Um, 
I, I graduated from MSU in 2018 uh, with a degree in theater, and I was lucky enough to get a few performing gigs across the country until the pandemic hit, and I was sort of looking at what I wanted to do. Um, I was really interested in what makes theater organizations tick, how do they function, uh, what are ways to do that better, and so I also uh, reached out to Dion O'Dell, um, basically asking what I what I could do to further my career during this uh unprecedented time and found myself back in grad school and I've been I've been loving it I've been loving studying arts management I'm really hoping to after I get out of here uh, jump into learning how to make organizations better at engaging with their communities I want to complete the Dion Odell trifecta and say that she taught this course before I did um, and she's also been a mentor to me as a as a faculty person and so I just want to shout out yay Dion Odell she's incredible She's incredible in every single way. So we have a very interesting and exciting podcast for you today. Uh, We're going to be going over two different topics. The first one being navigating education over Zoom, and the second one being cultivating a brave space in that educational setting. So first and foremost, navigating education over Zoom. I was lucky enough to serve as Abby Taikaki's graduate assistant in our marketing class. And uh, it's been an incredible to watch her and, and learn from her as I begin to build my toolkit as an educator. And so, Abby, I wanted to ask you, in our experience of, of taking this class that you have experience with teaching in person, and of course, we can't safely do that, so we are moving it online, what were some of the, the biggest hurdles you had to get over in terms of adapting your class to a, a Zoom format? I think the number one biggest hurdle, and it continues to be a hurdle, and it ties directly into um, our our second topic here, but is creating a um, cultivating, um, you know, an atmosphere of like connecting with students and having students connect with their fellow classmates and sort of um, driving conversation. It's just so much harder in a Zoom format. when people are muted and they have to unmute, like you can't just, conversation just doesn't happen as organically. And so I really missed having that connection. Um, I also, you know, tried different ways, most of which failed (laughs) to to establish some sort of organic conversation or connection. Um, And now that the semester is almost over, I feel like I'm I'm on the cusp of maybe breaking through there, (laughs) which is too little too late. Um, But I think that was my biggest challenge. Abby, what do you think? I know it was it was tough and there were a lot of challenges, but what do you think were some of the the breakthroughs that you had? What was better about being online than it was uh, in person? Or what were you able to successfully transfer over? Um, I think the thing that I f- liked the most was that it, previously when the class was in person last fall, um, I tried to incorporate technology more into the classroom setting. And that always felt really awkward because I never knew if my students had their devices with them, um, if they felt okay connecting. Um, and then, you know, was I um, taking away somehow from the in-person experience by having everybody get online. And so I really enjoyed having like that barrier removed and just sort of being like, okay, everything's online, everything's through your device and through technology. And so let's explore different ways that we can use this technology to try to, you know, sort of lecture and teach a concept and then demonstrate a concept and then actually practice a concept and then discuss how to go. And so I feel like a lot of times, Um, I was able to do that and try not to use too many different, you know, platforms and technologies, but um, try to still mix it up and keep it interesting. 
How do you feel like any of that worked? I'm interested in the perspective of the graduate assistant who knew what was coming and then the graduate student who was just experiencing it as it happened. Um, I thought that there was a lot of success there. Um, I really liked the way that you incorporated the different medias, uh, the different platforms. I grew as a person because of that. It helps inform my own teaching styles. Um, I'm currently also teaching a course while I'm taking this course. Um, so I, I think after our first meeting, when you like introduced like Jamboard, I was like, I've never seen this before. And I think I've used it three times in my other course since then. Um, I also really appreciated like the small videos that you would pepper in course content. And so I started doing that myself. So I thought it was really effective. Yeah, I love how you kept it engaging because I feel like there's a lot of professors that might lean towards, um, and even not on an online format, but just lecturing, and then the students take notes, and then you move on. But of course, with Zoom fatigue and trying to stay focused for hours on end, staring into your laptop, changing things up with activities and letting us explore things through a hands-on lens was really effective in getting people to stay focused and engaged and have the most effective learning process. I'm so glad you brought up Zoom fatigue because I feel like that's 100% it. We have essentially a three-hour class that is synchronous every week, and I think it feels really long to my students. It flies by for me every week, but it's because I'm the one talking mostly and moving things along, and so I do feel like I miss the mark sometimes in like trying to rush through the content that I had prepared rather than creating an open dialogue in the classroom. Yeah, Colton, what has your experience been with online classes? So as far as like Zoom fatigue is concerned, like it's real and it's definitely something that we have to be aware of and we have to acknowledge and we have to provide those breaks. But I never really felt that with your teaching style, Abby. I always felt engaged. I thought that you guys provided enough breaks. So I thought that that was great. But I also get that like preparing an online course especially like a synchronous course through Zoom is so different than an in-person where I know when I've done guest lectures, I can just prepare like one or two topics and then have an open discussion. Where with Zoom, that's so rare to have like an active discussion around a topic because people are afraid of stepping on people's toes. And like you were saying earlier, like the organic nature of conversation is completely disrupted so it doesn't really happen on zoom so i get it do you feel that way too ryan oh absolutely i totally agree with what colton said i think it's so important to cultivate empathy for those um positions just because yeah it's it's tough when you're you're talking to a screen and the the boxes are either black or they're muted me as a performer i'm so used to feeding off of other people's energy but giving your energy into a laptop webcam uh, is absolutely not the same thing as doing it uh, in person. Yeah. And I love that you said cultivating empathy and Colton mentioned not wanting, you know, everyone not wanting to step on each other's toes. And I feel like this is a very natural segue into creating, cultivating a brave space in the classroom and our attempt question mark at making that happen. So Ryan, do you want to dive into that and explain the concept? Yeah, it was it was a huge experiment. Um, 
when Abby and I met over the summer to discuss how we wanted to create uh, an atmosphere for this class, I I brought up this concept of cultivating a brave space, which is something I had learned about in a a Zoom seminar I took for teaching artists. And I'm going to read you two different definitions here to sort of pair the two. We've all heard of the term a safe space. A safe space is ideally one that doesn't incite judgment based on identity or experience, where the expression of both can exist and be affirmed without fear of repercussion and without the pressure to educate. While learning may occur in these spaces, the ultimate goal is to provide support. That sounds great, but I believe that we can go a step further, or I wanted to play with the idea of going a step further. Rather than being a safe space, we wanted to be a brave space, which would encourage dialogue, recognizing differences, and holding each person accountable to do the work of sharing experiences and coming to new understandings, a feat that is often hard and typically uncomfortable, but what is necessary to create change. Of course, when Abby and I were discussing these, we were in the midst of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement gaining full force in American culture and and also being before the election, which was dividing people and sort of focusing on having these really important conversations to cultivate empathy, to allow for different perspectives to be heard. And you're probably wondering, how is this going to be relevant in a uh, in a marketing class? And I didn't know, but I wanted to sort of play with this idea and make sure that the students with whatever they're going through in their personal lives would feel safe in this class um, and that learning would be more effective. And so it was just an idea we want to play with and hopefully it worked. And uh, I'm sure it didn't in other aspects, but I'm really excited to explore this concept looking back on the semester. Yeah, I, I have to say hats off, kudos to Michigan State University. Like how does this play into... Uh, a marketing class, you know, throw the word marketing out of there. It plays into, it should play into every class that we teach at Michigan State University. Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, over the summer, I took a lot of training for online learning and how to conduct it um, through the university that focused so much on um, empathy and teaching from a place of compassion, um, especially with all of the things that, you know, we were dealing with with the pandemic. And um, um, social justice issues and all of that. And then the first time I met with Ryan and he said, oh, yeah, I just learned about this concept of like, let's not have a safe space. The safe space is safe. Let's have a brave space that encourages dialogue. I said, oh, yes, that's it. And then I ran around for a week after that telling everybody I met like my graduate assistant is awesome. He gets it. And I want to incorporate this into the class. And I spent a lot of time um, building you know, the discussion and the slides for our first couple classes to make sure that was super incorporated and highly ev- evident. And then I sort of feel like I got swept up in trying to, you know, actually teach the content of an arts marketing course. And, um, and a lot of it, the, a lot of the ideas of what I had of what that would be sort of fell away um, as we sort of just tried to, to limp through the semester and, and have an impact in any way. Um, and especially because as the, the, the definition that you read, Ryan, that uh, was in our first class, a brave space encourages dialogue. And we just talked about how hard it is to have a dialogue in a Zoom format. And so I think I, may, I, I feel like I succeeded in creating um, a space where I hope my students felt comfortable coming to me with all issues, questions and concerns um, and that they felt like I was an instructor that wasn't here to say this is right and this is wrong and you fail or you pass. 
and you're great or you're not like that I wanted everyone to succeed in my class. I don't know if I succeeded in um, leading those important dialogues around things beyond, you know, just the bubble of arts management and arts marketing. So um, really interesting to hear from Colton and also you, Ryan, about where you remember moments where we did have a success there or moments where we tripped and fell. I have a few examples, but I'd love to hear from you guys first. I have a couple examples um, of, of things we did well. So particularly the week, and of course, her name is now escaping me, but when we had the guest speaker that was um, around disability studies. Kat Redness of Inclusive Arts Vermont. Yes. She was so cool. Oh my gosh. Love her. Like, so great. Let's talk to her more type thing. Um, that was an amazing experience for me. And, and honestly, I think it was... And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that once we got to a difficult conversation such as disability, um, like, and how we just, like, incorporate that, like, people perked up and there was a lot of conversation around that. So we were hearing different people's thoughts, ideas, answering questions, you know, facing these stereotypes. And so for me, that was, like, a huge win. That was... That was a braver space. And I tend to use like braver spaces and safer spaces because I think that that's one thing that we get caught up in is like these absolutes. And it's like, nobody is ever going to be 100% safe or nobody's going to feel 100% brave um, in order to participate in these spaces. So I always like to throw that R at the end just to like let people know that we're human. It's not going to be perfect. So that to me, that was definitely a braver space. It's yeah, it's tough because I, f- I felt the pressure as one of the leaders of the class to come in with those answers and with we're going to do things this way because this is the right way to do things. But I was always like, what if this isn't the right way to do things? What if the impact doesn't reach the intent? Or what if I say I'm going to do this, but yet I, I don't get there? And how do I hold myself accountable? These are all these things that I was juggling in my head because I know like I'm I'm a white person. So I know I don't have the same life experience as uh, people in, in minority race groups. So I don't want to be here and be like, I know how to create a brave space because because I, I don't. I don't know what the atmosphere is that would be considered brave. I don't have the same experience. And so that was a huge fear that I had. But I do think it's important to remind yourself and be mindful of there is no right answer. You can only just make progress and recognize when you make mistakes and 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 keep trying. I like that, Ryan. I love that. And I hope that was conveyed that we weren't here to be like, this is a brave space, but rather we we strive to create a brave, right. braver space for students. Agreed. You know, one thing that keeps like just coming to mind while we're talking about all this is something that a mentor of mine said to me a while back and, and kind of how I've like tried to live my life since then. Um, and that's like to acknowledge your privilege and then use that to better society. It seems as though with our conversation that we've been having that the main theme has been, but even before the material you cover in the classroom, the important thing is to at least strive towards creating a comfortable, engaging, brave, braver, safer 
space for your students in order to make sure that the success that everybody has collectively is as great as it possibly can be. And knowing you're never going to have a perfect classroom, but you can each time you show up become better and more effective. And I, and that's, that's really interesting. I didn't really see the conversation going there, but I'm really, really glad it did. I did want to say that this is what I love most about working in arts management um, and specifically now having the chance to be an educator in the field of arts management is that these sort of discussions easily happen, I feel, far more easily in the arts world, in the world of arts and culture. And it's one of the things that I feel most strongly about, you know, the the purpose of art and its need, our need for the arts in this world is that these are the places where we generate these dialogues and have these important discussions. And to be a part of figuring out how to have these conversations and then having those conversations with students and and freely admitting that we don't have all the answers, but we're just going to keep having these conversations and trying to do better. Um, I love that. And that for me, this is what, that's what it's all about. Any final thoughts you want to, to throw in there, Colton? Um, no, I just want to say thank you for having me. It was fun. To wrap things up. Thank you so much, Abby. Thank you so much, Colton. Thank you for all of the listeners that are supporting this incredible project. I'm so looking forward to the rest of the other podcasts and seeing what other conversations happen and taking these as the first stepping stone to a path of greatness as the MSU Arts and Cultural Management and Museum Studies program continues to grow and evolve into the future. So thank you so much for lending your time here, everybody. Thank you. This has been Practical Advice for Impractical Pursuits a Michigan State University Arts, Cultural Management, and Museum Studies podcast. Thank you to our program director, K.F. Latham, and the Michigan State University College of Arts and Letters for supporting this project. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect official entities of Michigan State University. To hear more episodes and learn how Michigan State is training future arts administrators to manage with compassion and care, visit artsmuseumsmanagement.cal.msu.edu forward slash podcast.